Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey there. We at Blue Wire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sport-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire pods, search for us on iTunes or check out bluewirepods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. You are listening to Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job on Blue Wire. I am your host, Tracy Sandler. And you guys, I am so excited today to be joined by Joanne Pasternak. Joanne is the executive director of the Golden Heart Fund and the president and chief impact officer at Oliver Rose. She has had an absolutely incredible career combining her passion of sports and her passion for philanthropy. She talks about not giving up easily, being who you are, and gives us some pretty cool anecdotes about some of your favorite 49ers athletes in Joe Staley and Frank Gore. And she talks about the importance of the helium hand, raising your hand when someone says, who wants to put that hand up and say, I do. You guys, this is a really special and informative podcast, and you are going to love it. We are brought to you today by Favor Apple Cider Vinegar. And without further ado, Joanne Pasternak on Get My Job. Joanne, thank you so much for joining me today for Get My Job. I'm so excited to talk more about your journey, the Golden Heart Fund, and everything you are doing right now. Thank you for having me, Tracy. It's exciting to be here. Well, let's just jump right in because you have done so many incredible things in your life uh, and you've had such an incredible career working in philanthropy and in the community. So I just want to jump right in and start there. Can you talk about where that passion came from? Honestly, I I can't remember a time when I wasn't involved in something in the world of philanthropy. Uh, From birth, it was something that was definitely important within my family. Uh, My my grandparents went through so much to build a life in the United States, coming over from Europe, uh, being of Jewish origins in Eastern Europe, and fighting through so much to be able to build a life for my parents. And so giving back was always a part of who we were as a family. And from a very early age, I had the opportunity to volunteer in the community and specifically with Special Olympics. Um, I was a competitive figure skater growing up and my rink had a program for athletes with intellectual disabilities. And I was able to start volunteering with that program from a pretty young age and it had an immediate impact on me. And once I got a taste of what it felt like to be able to coach and be coached by the athletes within Special Olympics, I didn't want to let go. I just was absolutely in love with the idea of being able to participate in programs like that. So before we move on, I want to talk a little bit about your time as a competitive skater, because we don't (laughs) get that every week on the Get My Job podcast. Uh, Can you just talk a little bit about that and how that started and and how far that went and how long you ended up doing that? Sure. Um, Well, I, I was in a really bad car accident when I was five years old. And although I was always a super active athletic kid, uh, the accident left me with fewer options for sports I could participate in. And I, uh, this sounds ridiculous, but even as a five-year-old, I was looking around for ways that I could skirt around the restrictions that were put on me. And I went to a birthday party, you know, one of those little skate around in circles with cones kind of birthday parties. And I came home from that and I said to my parents, you know, this seems like a sport I can do. And although they were hesitant at first, they signed me up for some snowflake classes, I think they were called. And I was uh, drawn in by the sport and from day one loved it. Um, It became uh, all encompassing. I I competed for 12 years uh, up until I was injured out at around the age of 16. But for me, it was 
it was something that allowed me to channel a lot of my energy, my drive, and it taught me how to fall and get back up again. I think about growth mindset a lot. That's a buzzword that's used often today. But for a figure skater, we are falling on very hard, very cold mm-hmm. surface. And we have to get up time and time again. So if you're working on your double axle, it might look beautiful when you see it in competition. But what you don't know is that behind the scenes, that probably took six months and you probably had to fall on the same exact spot on your hip over and over and over before you got it. And for me, that was a challenge that I wanted to take on. And it has permeated into everything I've done since. I look back at my opportunity to participate in the sport as a way that I learned how to be um, really dedicated, how to have stick and also to have that ability to stand up in front of any crowd and say anything. So if you want me to give a speech, no problem, because I'm not wearing spandex and I don't have a spotlight on me and I don't have to do it to music. So um, that's been a great way for me to develop that self-confidence, but also just having that group of skaters around me, the friendships that were formed there and seeing how much joy it could bring to people when we would perform really left an impression on me as well. Well, you bring up a really good point about athletics and, and sports and being involved you know, from a young age in that when you said you can give a speech because you're not in spandex and you don't have a spotlight on you, do you feel like generally for kids who play sports you know, and who are able to, it really helps your self-confidence in a bunch of areas you know, beyond just the athletic point? Oh, there's no doubt. In fact, studies have been done that show that for women in particular, having participated in a sport at a competitive level increases the likelihood of success in your future careers. And while I wish there were more opportunities for women to pursue professional careers in athletics, regardless of whether you take your sport from a recreational competitive level or you're able to go and play at the highest levels and be an Olympian or be a professional athlete as a woman, uh, you are learning skills that will take you far beyond anything you could have imagined because in sports, there is a winner, there is a loser. You are working towards something that you won't always achieve, but you can always put your full effort into it and you will see rewards of putting your effort into it regardless of the outcome. And so these these skills, the teamwork, the even in an individual sport, knowing that you get as much as you put into it, you'll get out of it. Uh, those characteristics are what enable us to then go into a professional environment and apply those same skills to be successful. Um, I don't give up easily, really, at all. And anybody who knows me knows that it's probably one of my... Um, biggest characteristics that might make you love me or sometimes feel a little frustrated because I'm dogged and determined. Um, And I I really think that figure skating gave me a lot of that because I wouldn't give up. If I were working on that jump combination or a spin or something like that, I would stay on the ice until I had it down to the level where I felt like I was comfortable with it. And I would do the same thing with any work uh, project that I have to undertake. I, I don't give up easily. Um, so I, I always encourage parents um, to take their children and expose them to sports or to other competitive environments. Now, if your kid isn't sporty, um, music lessons, chess lessons, anything that gives them an opportunity to hone a skill, to focus in on something and to stick with it is really, really critical as they look towards the future workplace. So as an athlete, as a sports fan, and as someone passionate about helping the community, was it always a dream of yours to be able to combine the two? You know, as a, as a kid, I don't think I ever imagined that there would be an opportunity for me to be able to combine the two. And it happened slowly over time where I recognized that I could do both. Uh, after I, I, finished my competitive career in skating. I went off to college. I was majoring in psychology and I was actually coaching figure skating part-time to pay for college. And um, while I was there, I was doing some internships and I recognized that there was an opportunity to help uh, be a voice for those who didn't have the opportunity to speak out or speak up on behalf of themselves or on behalf of the needs that they had in the world. And I decided to go to law school 
while I was in law school, I thought that I would go into something like environmental law or maybe family law, but, um, but was drawn towards that world of sports again and ended up working for Special Olympics at their global headquarters in Washington, D.C. And it was there that I, I started to realize that I could have a career where I took my love of sports and my, my belief in the power of sports to make an impact and open people's eyes to possibilities and philanthropy and bring those two together. That really coalesced for me when I was working in city government a few years later and had the opportunity to create from scratch a police activities league for the city of Mountain View, which was a project that I, I took on when the police chief, um, who's still one of my greatest friends and mentors in the world, um, Scott Vermeer, came to me and said, you know, it'd be great if we could have one of these in Mountain View. We had a rising issue with gangs in our community, and we really wanted to destigmatize the cops for the kids and to bring the kids and the cops together around something that they had in common. And for many of the kids, that was sport. It was playing soccer, tennis, basketball, um, whatever it was that they were passionate about. And when we brought the cops and the kids together on an athletic field, all of those barriers and all of the assumptions about who they might be or where they came from really went away quickly. And they just became coach and kids on a field playing and having fun and laughing. And I saw that it just was transformative for our community. And we saw that parks that had been dangerous to go to were suddenly becoming a place where cops and kids were gathering together to play and to reclaim those parks. Um, so a few years into that, I, uh, I, I just decided I wanna do this full time. That was not the full job that I had. And mm -hmm. I, uh, I, I just decided to start looking for opportunities and you know, you never know why things happen the way they do, but I happened to just decide one day that I would start looking for jobs in community relations and um, went on like a Google search, I think, and, and popped up, <laughs> pops this job, 49ers, community relations. And I'm reading the job description. And as I'm reading it, every single bullet point, like my heart is beating faster. And I'm like, oh my God, this is the job that I have, I've dreamed of. And you know, there's this thing they'd say that women often read a job description and think, oh gosh, I don't have 90% of the qualifications. I shouldn't even bother. I, I guess I'm not that person. And maybe that comes from having thrown myself into the air to do jumps that I could never land and, you know, whatever, I just do it. Um, but I thought, well, you know, if I aggregate all of my different experiences and my volunteer work and all of this, I think I have a chance. Um, and so I pulled my resume together, um, reached out to the one person I knew at the 49ers peripherally, who was the team photographer, Terrell Lloyd, and said, hey, I sort of know you. Can you um, champion my resume and maybe see if it might be able to get to the hiring manager somehow? Um, and he's one of my best friends to this day. And now, you know, he did that. But I got there and it was like a match made in heaven. I, I found my my place and I found place where I could thrive because what I saw was that when given the opportunity, every single guy on the 49ers roster wanted to go out and use their platform to make a difference in the world and to bring joy to the youth in our community and to speak to their own personal stories. And so being able to combine my love and my passion for sports and sports for social good with um, this career has been I mean, it's been unbelievable. And, you know, as you know, it, it's taken me from the Niners to the Warriors to, you know, across the world doing all sorts of things around sports for social good. And, um, and, and I, I love it. I mean, I really do. I'm very blessed. And I want to talk a little bit about what you're doing now. Well, I actually want to talk a lot about what you're doing now. But first, I have a question because you just brought up something with the 49ers. And that was kind of the big, you know, foray into this world for you. And you talked about the players on the team and how they want to use their platforms. The organization has won multiple awards for their mm -hmm. community work, much of that at your helm, uh, or when you were at the helm is probably the, mm -hmm. the more proper English way to say that. Um, what separates that organization from others? And I'm taking nothing away from other organizations because I think so many 
teams and organizations across all sports do incredible work. But there does seem to be something different about the 49ers. And maybe it's just because I'm closer to it and seeing it, but it feels like something separates them. So that's a very long way of asking, what do you think that something is? <laughs> well, you know, it, it, you, you, are, you are correct um, in saying that one thing that folks don't realize is that every sports team has a community relations department, a philanthropy program of some sort. Uh, they are all organized differently. Um, franchises are able to do what they want with their engagement activities in the community, but they're all doing something. Um, what differentiates the 49ers program is that we were very um, deliberate in how we decided to approach it. So when I joined the Niners in 2008, um, we were doing a lot of programs and giving a lot of grants to tons of organizations. And although we had a mission statement, um, it was very broad. So it was keeping kids safe on track and in school. And we could apply that to just about anything. But the grants we were giving were more of micro grants, meaning $1,000 here or $5,000 there. But when we sat down and we looked at the impact we were having, we realized that if we gave more of macro grants, so larger grants to fewer organizations and did those over a finite amount of time, that we could make a transformative difference in organizations that fell within our mission statement and leave a lasting impact as opposed to just giving a little bit here that could help say a teacher buy some school supplies. But instead, if you go into the school, you work directly with the head of school and talk to them about what they need in totality in order to help the school rise up, then you're leaving a legacy behind that the school can build on. And, and you're not just coming in and doing something cosmetic, which is often the case with what sports teams might do. They come in, they, they redo an athletic you know, facility, or they, um, they paint a room or they, whatever it is, they beautify. Um, maybe you're putting tan bark around a playground that, that doesn't do much. I mean, it does something for the day. It creates a great video moment, but two years from then, five years from then, is that something that has remained with the 49ers? We focused in on what are the needs within our service area? So in our case, it was San Francisco, you know, Silicon Valley, South Bay, um, what are the needs? Where are the geographical areas that have the greatest needs? What are we best at doing? And that's really important as well as if you don't identify what your core strength is that, and you're trying to go outside of that, then you're, you're stepping into territory where maybe others would be better suited to do it. The other thing we looked at was who are our partners, um, corporate partners and philanthropic partners and how can we leverage their areas of expertise to build out our programming so that it can have a greater impact? So the, the best example and the one that I'm most proud of is the partnership that we launched with Chevron and the Silicon Valley um, Education Foundation and the school district, the Santa Clara um, County uh, School District, where we created the STEM Leadership Institute. And this was a really, really large undertaking. It was the first of its kind and the largest investment where a corporate partner and a nonprofit and a sports team and a school district are coming together to create something that was long lasting. And in just two weeks, the first graduating class of this, this STEM Leadership Institute will be heading off, finishing up high school and heading off to college in the fall with um, this tremendous success rate. The program was started six years ago and it's, it's grown and it's had this really amazing impact. And the students who are enrolled, it's not a huge program, but the impact is incredible because these students will go on to do great things and make an impact in the world of STEM, um, you know, science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, adjacent to that, we have programming at the museum that's complementary to that, the Foreign Heirs Museum. And so we looked at ways that we could create complementary um, items to augment, amplify, and storytell about the ways that science, technology, engineering, and math could be coupled with football or coupled with the lessons learned on the football field. So whether that's leadership or whether that's the physics behind kicking a field goal, uh, taking what we know best, taking what we can talk about in the most influential way, and then using our partnership with Chevron or our partnership with the school district or with the Education Foundation to amplify that. So 
um, that was a multi-year investment and it, it gave us a platform to speak from, but one that we could become a subject matter expert in and do really, really well, as opposed to, again, going in and saying, so you guys need some microscopes? Great. Here you go. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's helpful. But as a sports team, while we didn't have millions upon millions to give, what we did have was the ability to be able to go in and bring a spotlight onto something. And, and I alluded to this earlier with the players and their platforms. Um, something that I say to athletes all the time is you have a platform, you get to stand on that platform, but what are you going to say once you're on top of it? And if you're trying to say too much, it becomes white noise. If instead you pinpoint something that really matters to you and you have a really compelling story to tell around that and you can hit on the why you're telling it, then people are really going to stop and listen. And it, it, the authenticity is there. People understand that. They can see it. They can feel it. And they want to follow you. And so that's exactly what we did. And I think that's what differentiated us. And so, yes, it resulted in we won the ESPN um, Humanitarian Sports Team of the Year Award. We won the Beyond Sport International Philanthropic Sports Team of the Year Award, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation Award, <laughs> uh, and on and on and on. And it it, it was pretty awesome. Um, the greatest uh, the greatest compliment, and I think this is the one that for uh, John York and Denise DeBartolo York and and the whole York family was uh, most exciting was when we received the invitation to do a conv- go to a convening at the Vatican with the Pope, where it was just 200 um, people invited to talk about how sports had the power to impact the world and create a stronger humanity. Um, and that was probably the one of the most exciting three days I've ever had in my life. Uh, <laughs> but, but the reason it was so exciting was because well, we were in, invited as the only NFL team to be there. But beyond that, to be inspired and surrounded by people who were making incredible difference in the world, but doing so similar to how we were doing it, where they were pinpointing something they were really good at and doing it really, really well. Um, so to me, that's the magic. It's, it's don't try to be everything to everyone. Try to be the best at what you're best at and continue to do that. I love that. I'm writing it down. I always, whenever I do these, I always end up writing down nuggets. That have, oh, good. <laughs> and that one is great. Be, don't that's your, that's your red and golden nugget, right? There you go. Yeah, there's my red and golden nugget. Exactly. Yeah. Be the best at what you're best at. I love that. And that, you know, it's continued on into today. The 49ers continue to, to do excellent work in mm-hmm. STEM education, as you spoke about, STEAM education um, and everything. And I think that obviously was built from when you first got there. Yeah. And I I mean, the the team there is just awesome. Like I, you know, I have, I haven't been working at the 49ers for a number of years, but I can tell you, like, I love, love, love the team there. I love the people there and, you know, shout out to Jesse and Jared and Stacy and, you know, they're just, they're incredible. And Justin, um, they're carrying on this great work and um, every day going out and trying to figure out new ways to innovate. So before we continue on, I want to talk about what it is you are doing today and where you are and talk a little bit more about some of the work you did with the 49ers. We are going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, Favor Apple Cider Vinegar. They say a healthy gut means a healthy you. Favor Apple Cider Vinegar shots bottle this feeling into the convenience of a two-ounce shot. Better digestion, stronger immune system, and the lowering of blood sugar levels are just some of the benefits to shooting a daily favor shot. Their proprietary blends are raw and organic and mixed with other functional ingredients to create a better tasting experience. First time shooters can go to drinkafavor.com. All right, Joanne, so you told us a lot about your time with the 49ers, uh, your time with the Warriors, and and all the incredible things you've done in your career, and now you are with the Golden Heart Fund and with Oliver Rose. And for our listeners that don't know, can you give us an overview kind of on what you're doing with both? Sure. Um, so 
Oliver Rose is a consulting firm that I launched last year um, and really went live with just in January and um, focused on that intersection between athletes and entertainers and their areas of passion around philanthropy, where that can be augmented with corporations looking to um, bring philanthropy to life through their funding sources and with nonprofits that are doing amazing work out there in the community and could use the support of an athlete who can bring more visibility to their cause and through the corporates who can bring more funding to their cause. So um, really, really loving the work that I get to do there and working with individual athletes who I have had the chance to get to know over the years and who are out there doing great work and just need a bit of support to get the word out about the work they're doing. So that's uh, that's part of what I'm, I'm working on. Um, and there are lots of different components to it. But uh, I won't I won't belabor that too much. Um, I uh, I spend the lion's share of my time right now with the Golden Heart Fund, which is like a dream come true to be able to support this organization. Um, Golden Heart Fund was created just a couple of years ago, and it is intended to be uh, a support network for our former 49ers, so our 49ers legends who have fallen upon hard times. So if they are struggling with emotional physical or financial challenges, this is a group of alumni players and also representation from the DeBartolo Corporation as well as the San Francisco 49ers who come together and confidentially take on these really difficult situations um, which any of us could find ourselves in and address them case by case and say, we're here to help you. This is, this is a family. The 49ers always talk about that and I can attest to that because when I've needed something, the 49ers as an organization has been there for me personally. Um, I never stepped foot on, a, on the field as a player, but certainly they consider all of us to be part of that extended family. And so what we're doing is we, we know that, um, that this is, this is a, it can be a tough path. And we're trying to bring visibility to the fact that even though you achieved this goal that so many people look at and think it's it's the ultimate goal to play in the NFL, that the average NFL career only lasts about three years. During that career, you will make, if you're making league minimum, you will make less than, if you were to amortize that over a lifetime, you're going to make less than the average middle income. And you are often left with debilitating injuries. And there are also some emotional and psychological scars that go along with that. I think of it as it's kind of an after the confetti falls moment. And um, mm -hmm. if any of you were watching uh, as we, we won the NFC championship this past uh, January and we were out there at Levi's stadium and the confetti literally is falling and it's the greatest feeling. It's the greatest moment. And I've been fortunate enough to be with the Niners through, through, uh, you know, two of those NFC championship moments and then you fast forward and, and the confetti's fallen and you move on to the Super Bowl and, and the confetti doesn't fall for you that time. And you have to go home and figure out who you are without that. And now let's say that you're retiring and your career is moving in a different direction because it has to, because your football career is over. It's a short lifespan. And this is the only professional sports. And I know this firsthand are the, it's the only place where with experience, you get worse, you get slower, you are less desirable as a candidate, and you can be known for the rest of your life as an ex, fill in the blank, football player, hockey player, figure skater. Uh, you can be known as an ex for something that you accomplished when you were in your 20s. So in my case, I peaked at the age of like 16. And yet, if you were to ask my mother to describe me, she would probably say, Joanne was a competitive figure skater. I was 16. Mm -hmm. I'm 46 now. That was 30 years ago. <laughs> but, I, I like to think I've accomplished one or two things since then. But yeah, absolutely. Right? You know, but, but that's still the sexiest thing that people can come up with. So if you were a professional football player, no matter what you go on to accomplish, you will still be identified by that as being the pinnacle of your life. And that gets inside of you in a way that is hard to, to describe. And because of that, it's hard to sort of transition into that next step. 
So we're doing a lot of visibility work around that. So we provide these direct grants, but we're also providing awareness to the fact that if, if these gentlemen can experience these extreme highs, which lead to the extreme lows, so can every single one of us. And we're looking to destigmatize what it means to raise your hand and ask for help. Uh, one of the greatest players of all time um, will be sharing his story later this year, uh, along with a number of his uh, brothers from the 49ers, talking about what it felt like when he finally raised his hand and said, I need help. And when finally he felt like people were answering that call and uh, he was struggling with mental health issues, with physical health issues, and um, knowing that he had people around him made him feel like like his life was worth something. And prior to that, he had lost hope. So um, we're hoping that if somebody can look at a man who is six foot five and as strong as can be and see that he's vulnerable, that if you're that average man or woman sitting back and feeling really alone right now, um, particularly as we've all been sheltering in place and we know that emotional vulnerability is, is really something that we're all very concerned about, that it's okay to raise your hand and say, I need help um, because nobody is so strong or so big that they're immune to that. And it humanizes the athletes. I mm -hmm. think so often fans and people forget that athletes are, they're just people. There are people who are incredibly talented and there are people who are very fun to watch on Sunday or Saturday or Tuesday, depending on what sport they play, yeah. Yeah. but they are people. And when an athlete goes to to work. I mean, that's what he's doing. He's going to work. Yeah. And I think sometimes we can forget that. And so we, what you're doing is very important in helping to destigmatize the mental health side and to also show people that what you say about people matters. And if you go on Twitter and call somebody trash because they mm -hmm. dropped the pass in a football game, that matters. And that's not okay. And so it, I think, you know, it's all part of the same thing. And it's, it's interesting because one of the moments that stands out in my memory um, for, for a guy who played for the Niners and a, a man of true character was um, when we, we had a moment where there was a player who had an on-field moment that many fans felt cost the Niners a big game. And uh, this, this, this poor guy, as a kid, um, he had death threats coming his way and, and people were very angry and they turned to social media to let out that anger. And, um, and one of his teammates was like, this is not okay. And his teammates stepped into the locker room and stepped up in front of the reporters and said, anything you got to say, you can say to me first. And, um, what I loved about that was that was an example of like, I've got your back, but people do hide behind their you know, Twitter handles or their Instagram, you know, whatever it is. Uh, and they forget that they're humans. And so uh, we do, we talk about a lot as what's under the helmet. Um, when I was working in basketball, you know, obviously there were no helmets there, but it was, <laughs> it was it, the, that's one of the greatest things about being out in the community with the athletes is that it's a chance for them to be who they actually are. And although we have the cameras on them at many of these events, one of the things that we would explain to the athletes was uh, the reason why the cameras are on is because we want people to see who you are as a human. And we hope that they will not just replicate the behavior that they see on the field or, um, you know, on the sidelines or whatever, but that they're going to also look up to you as a hero off the field and replicate that behavior as well. So the more visibility we can bring to what it means to be a true professional athlete and, a, and to be a complete athlete and to infuse that with a bit of that humanity and what it means to go out into the community, the stronger we will be as a society in general. So um, we think it's really critically important to showcase the strengths and the weaknesses and as you said, to humanize it. Um, so that's, that's what we're doing at the Golden Heart Fund. Um, we are a 501c3 nonprofit. We um, accept uh, donations and we also administer grants. And we will be hosting a number of fan engagement events once the world starts to open up a bit and uh, look forward to being able to introduce more and more people to the work that we're doing to bring awareness to 
the challenges that we all face around physical, mental health, um, brain injury, and other issues. And you've mentioned the shelter in, pra- in place, excuse me, um, and also events that you'll have when we open up. That being said, since we are where we are right now, how do you ensure that the work you guys are doing still does stay a priority and top of mind? Well, you know, it's it's been quite an interesting process. It's hard to believe it's only been like two months because it feels like it's been six years or something. But um, so one of the things that I've noticed and that I've noticed among many of the people I work with, many of my friends and many of my family members is that there are ways to connect and ways for us to stay connected. I've found myself checking in more frequently with people just to make sure they're okay. And that has certainly extended to the athletes I work with um, and guys we're working with directly through the Golden Heart Fund. Um, We do have one gentleman uh, who's an NFL legend, 49er legend, um, and the man who was not, he was not the catch, but he's the man who made the catch, the catch, because if it were not for his tackle, the catch would not have resulted potentially in our win um, in that Mm -hmm. NFC championship game. But, um, but, you know, he, he went through a battle with COVID and was hospitalized. And um, I've, I've been on the phone with him almost every day, just making sure he's doing all right and making sure that, you know, he has what he needs to get through this journey. But but he's, you know, he's somebody who's directly impacted, but we've also seen so many people are impacted because they've been furloughed from their jobs or laid off from their jobs. Uh, people who are isolated because they don't have somebody around them. Um, and so we're reaching out and we're also using our network. So uh, a specific example with this gentleman who uh, who has gone through this, this COVID battle and thank goodness is now on the mend and doing really well. Uh, one of our more recent alumni players really had a soft place in his heart for this legend who played many, many years before him. And, uh, and that, that more recent alum is Patrick Willis and, and Patrick reached out and wanted to do something to support his, you know, fellow 49ers alumnus. And that's one of the opportunities that's provided with the networking created by something like the golden heart fund is we can connect to the guys so that when they're going through something, they can support each other. And that's, that's something we're looking to extend as we go into the season and we have the opportunity to reach out to rookies and to help them to get started on the right foot. And all of that can be done with or without being in person, with or without stepping foot into a locker room or onto a field. Um, this can be done just by reaching out. And one of the, the strongest tools we've been deploying is just the, the power of a text um, and saying, just checking in on you. You okay? What's up? Um, and I, I can't tell you how many times I've texted somebody and said, Hey, are you all right? What's up? Um, <laughs> I heard from you. Um, and it, it, it almost always results in a response back. Um, we've also been looking at how we can send care packages and just make sure people have their basic needs taken care of. So, um, even from a distance, there are ways to just remind people that you care about them. You spoke about Patrick Willis and a lot of the initiatives that you guys are looking to do. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of makes me curious. Is there an athlete that has surprised you with his commitment to the community? Oh, wow. What a great question. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's like asking me to pick my favorite child. I have two children. <laughs> and I tell them all the time when they try to identify who I like more in any given moment. Um, of course. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it's... Gosh, I, I, I literally could not pick one person. I mean, there's so, so many different moments. And I think, I think if I were to try to identify who has been impactful in different ways, I would say like in any given moment, I'm identifying with one of the guys or another because of the way that they have moved through the world. But one of the guys I respect tremendously is uh, I'm, I'm going to go back to Frank Gore. <laughs> I'm going to go a little bit like way back. Um, Frank is a man of few words, but, um, but he opened up with young people in a way that was very, very motivating for kids who don't learn in the traditional way. 
um, who maybe have learning differences, dyslexia, dysgraphia. And um, I have never seen somebody walk into a classroom so quietly and leave and having had such an influence over young people. And it's not something people talk about. I just saw today that Frank signed on for another year. <laughs> he played for the Jets. Um, uh-huh. I, I cannot believe how many seasons he's played. And all I keep thinking to myself is like, I'm so glad that Frank is getting a chance to live out his dream and play for as long as he would like. But I can't wait for the day when we can shout his story from the rooftops about what he can do and what he has done in the community, because I think that's a story that hasn't been told yet. So that's one that would be surprising maybe to others. For me personally, um, I've learned over time that when you actually sit down with anybody, I mean, anybody on any roster from practice squad to your starting quarterback, and you talk to them about what drives them forward, that you will find something that they are passionate about. And that when you dig deep into that, you're going to find a cause that makes them want to get up and go volunteer in the community. So when people say, how do you engage athletes? What types of events do you do? I always turn back and I say, it's not about what types of events do you do? It's how do you get to know the individual and treat them as individuals and find out what it is that they are most passionate about and build it around that. But tell me what surprised me the most. Like I remember the first time I, I figured out that Joe Staley could sing any Disney tune on karaoke <laughs> and do it perfectly. Um, that was surprising. Um, and that we did a, an event many, many years ago called Kindergarten Kickoff, where he sat in a little itty bitty kindergarten chair and had the kids rolling on the floor laughing as he did every voice in the book. Ricky Tiki Tembo, I think it was called, or something. <laughs> but you know, but here was this big guy, and he was just hysterical, and uh, that was the beginning of a long, long friendship. And um, just, I adore, adore Joe, and again, so excited to see what this next stage of his life um, becomes. Um, Pat Willis is one where I look at him, and I just think the depth of who he is and his soul, his heart, um, his passion for giving back and just how connected he is to his center and to, to being a good human, um, has the opportunity. I mean, he has the opportunity to just change the world for the better with the way he looks at it. And so, um, these, these guys are just, they're beyond, I mean, they're so good and they're so, they're so generous. And, um, and I, I just, I hope that people take a moment to, to step back and look beyond, the surface and start to to really think about who they are as as men and what they've done not just for the sport of football but for their communities and and also for their families. So Joanne, I wanted to see if you could take us a little bit through a day in your life either now or under our normal circumstances and then wanted to talk about and I can remind you about this but I'd love to hear if there was a criticism you received early on in your career that while it was tough to take, helped to shape your future. And I combine the two questions because I'm not sure if that has any effect on your daily life now and and how you do things. Uh, Gosh, you have crazy. Your questions are fantastic. I love them. Um, (laughs) My life. Oh my goodness. Um, Wow. Well, this has been, it's been a transformational year, a couple of years for me. So I should start by saying that when I worked in the front offices of professional sports, both with the Niners and with the Golden State Warriors, um, I mean, honestly, I was working 70, 80, 90 hours a week. And I know that sounds impossible, but it's not. Um, (laughs) It's exhausting. Um, I have a a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old as well. So during Mm -hmm. that time, we also had babies, toddlers, you know, I'm, I'm trying to balance all this. My husband works in professional sports. Um, our kids are very sporty. So I didn't sleep much. I was sleeping maybe four hours a night and it, it took a real toll on me. But, um, but for me, I've, I've always had a lot of energy and a lot of enthusiasm and I'm, I, I'm a firstborn child. So I like to get things done and I like to get them. I don't know done with very high expectations on myself. Um, maybe that's where the figure skater comes back again. You know, we had to trace school figures, um, on the ice and do it perfectly six times in a row, you know? And so, uh, I kind of brought that same perfectionism to my work, 
but but here's the thing is over the years it really started to to wear on me and um and I realized that I wanted to focus on some of the elements that were bringing me energy versus drawing energy from me. And so I have recalibrated my life over the last couple of years. And I've been able to focus more on the things that really bring the energy to me. So my life now, um, I mean, in, in sheltering in place or not, I would say that mm-hmm consists of a lot of conversations, a lot of um, listening, and then analyzing and working through what is at the core of somebody's objectives and then how to drive it forward. Uh, the, the mission statement for my, my consulting firm is that we are seeking to um, amplify impact, inspire change, meaning what is the voice that you want to lead with and how can we bring more visibility to that voice and that cause? And that comes from a really deep place within, within me. Um, my, my father has advanced Alzheimer's. He has younger onset Alzheimer's, which means he was diagnosed prior to the age of 65. Um, he's 72 now. He's my, my first hero, my first, you know, love. And, um, and he doesn't know who I am at this point. And that's been really, really hard. But that forced me to stop and think about what could I do to pay it forward and think about how to help others to get their voice out there. Because that's what my dad did for me. He, he showed me the way and then, and then set me free to go and find my path. Um, so I, I spend a lot of time um, talking, <laughs> talking to people and, and thinking and researching. And, and I, I travel a bunch. There is no typical day, but I would say if you were to ask my kids, they'd probably say, our mom's on the phone a lot and she's on <laughs> a lot and she's, um, she's available to lots of people all the time. But one of the recalibrations was that I, I decided that um, as much as I love game days and I love being, as one person referred to me once, the chick on the field with the check. <laughs> um, I was, was that chick on the field with the giant check. Um, that's, that's fun. Awesome. It's glamorous. Um, that, that wasn't what propelled me forward for me. It was when I had the chance to sit down with Donna Perry, Joe Perry's widow and learn more about her story and Joe's journey and, and what it felt like for Joe when he was breaking that color barrier or sitting down with, um, I mean, being so close to Dwight Clark as he was going through his journey with Lou Gehrig's and, and just the toll that that was taking on his family and, and trying to think through like, what can we do? How can we make it better? Um, so I totally didn't answer your question at all, but that's because no day is the same, but no, you, you did you, but that's, that's the beauty of that question is that for our guests, everybody's days are so different Mm -hmm. and some people have a structured day and some people don't. And, and the point of it really is like less about your schedule and more about what you're doing. So you actually did answer it perfectly. Yeah. (laughs) What I, what I would love is I would love that if there were like a blank hour in the day where I could get through the bazillion emails and then a blank (laughs) hour where I could return phone calls and (laughs) since that doesn't exist. Uh, yeah. My favorite hour of the day, though, is um, after the kids are asleep and I can sit down and do, like, just respond to stuff and finish writing things in quiet when people aren't actually pinging me back immediately. Um, I will say that because I do like that. And and my, my favorite thing to do is to read and to write. So I've been doing that on the side. I've started to do some writing on and publish it on Medium. And I hope one day to be able to actually publish something, a book or whatever, just um, really focused on the learnings I've had as my dad has gone through this journey with early onset and the the awareness that I have had about my own journey as a result of that. So, um, so I'm doing a little bit of that on the side, but, but that's, that's something that has become more and more important to me. I hope you do that too. That would be incredible. I think people would love to to read that. I know I would love to read that and, and you are an excellent writer. So Thank I'm you. putting in the universe that I would like that to happen for you. <laughs> I mean, there, are, there are some funny stories along the way um, for your audience here as like for fangirls only here. Um, I still think that I might be one of the only 
women, well, people, people, cause men can't do this, but, um, mm-hmm. When my son was one and the 49ers were playing a team, playing a game in London as part of the international series, we were playing the Bears and I was uh, just starting to wean my son um, and I had to pump on the team plane. I still think like that's a story in and of itself that I cannot wait to share with the world in a funny, funny way, because these are the experiences that I've had in my life. And, and they are like, this has not, it's not easy to be a mom and an executive and to Mm -hmm. work with professional athletes, but the guys I have worked with are unbelievable and incredible and passionate and compassionate and kind and would do anything for me and for my family. And, um, and so that's why I wake up every day, like excited to get back to work and get back to what I'm doing. Um, so I, I do it again and again. So that actually really leads me into my last question before we do five fun facts. And that is, if you could give our listeners one piece of advice for starting a career in your field, what would that be? Gosh, you know, I, I, I say this a lot actually to people, which is, you know, be somebody who raises your hand and tries something that you haven't tried before. Like um, my dad used to call it the helium hand, which if you think about like a, a helium balloon, it's like you try mm-hmm. to pull it down, but then it goes back up. Um, so I like that. if you're, if somebody is saying like, does somebody want to take this on? Like raise your hand and don't be afraid to m- make a mistake. The best bosses I've had are the ones who believed in me and were enabling me to try something new without being so fearful that I might make a mistake that they made me too cautious. So, um, so be open and honest when you are in over your head and ask for help, but also step out of your comfort zone and try, try something on, try to do something different. The best opportunities I've had have come from places where I was a little scared. Um, my dad used to say this all the time and I, I, I feel like I want to share it with your listeners as well. My dad would say that um, the butterflies you feel in your stomach, you know, we all feel those sometimes. That means that you're about to do something that's going to make you stronger. So that what he would say to me was, Joe, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't let the butterflies control you. You just need to learn how to tame the butterflies. Because once you do, they're going to take you on a path that's going to take you somewhere. Um, And I think about that all the time because no matter how many speeches I've given or how many events I've done or whatever, I still feel those butterflies. And like, I can't tell you how strong I feel when I get through whatever that moment is where I was feeling the butterflies. And so that's the best advice I can give is when you feel the butterflies, just remind yourself you're about to get stronger and just do it anyway. Uh, but, but step back, think about your plan, think about your strategy. Don't go in blind and don't go in and, and be so arrogant as to believe that you don't need help. Um, I would say if I go back to my twenties, uh, I, I knew that I was, uh, <laughs> I knew I was smart and I knew that I was capable. What I didn't realize was that I needed to have experience and that I needed to listen more in my thirties. I did more listening. Um, and I took on more leadership and now in my forties, I'm so much more humble and I can sit back and say, there's so much I don't know. And there's so much I can learn. And, um, And I think that comes from a position of being able to say, like, I've done a lot. And so I don't need to prove everything to everybody. And it allows me to step back and say, like, help me to understand this thing I don't understand. And so that's part of it. So if I were in my 20s, I would say, um, I would say to myself, like, Joanne, just listen, (laughs) just stop. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do it all right now. You don't have to, like, you're not going to be team president when you're 22. Like, it's okay. Um, and, and that, that's part of it. I, I, my, one of my, I have a couple, you asked me about my weaknesses, which I really didn't, or criticisms. I'm not patient. I want things to be done now. I tend to like barrel through the, <laughs> I've tended, I'm trying to do a past tense, but I think I still do mm-hmm. it, um, to barrel through some of the barriers because I want to get it done. And I can see, I can see the ends, like I can see the end zone and I just want to like kind of move my way through like there's Frank Gore again. I'm just going to, I'm going to like bust through it. Right. But, um, but that's not always the best path forward. Like I, I, I've learned over the years how to be more diplomatic in my approach. I've learned how to 
work within systems, but that's been, that's been a process for me. Um, my nature is to just go after it. Um, and so that's a criticism that I've heard. Um, I think it is tough to be five foot three and three quarters, red curly haired, freckle faced girl walking in, in the community relations role and to say, I'm bold, I'm bright and I have ideas and to, um, to want to just like burst out with them. Um, and, and so I've, I've learned to find environments where that's championed and where that's celebrated. And really that's been in places where I'm working with really incredible, confident, self-confident professional athletes who see that as an amazing asset and want me to bust out with my ideas and, and being open to the feedback they're going to come back with. So, um, so that's, you know, that's part of it. But I, I also at 46, I've come to the point where I'm like, I kind of like who I am and I'm, I'm going to be me. And, um, I'm absolutely, this is a word to all the women out there, uh, particularly the curly haired girls. Um, I'm not straightening my hair and I'm not going to dye it brown or black. It's, I'm just, I'm a red curly haired girl and I, I will be forever. <laughs> well, until it turns gray, I guess, but then maybe I'll make it red again. But, um, but I just, I, people have told me to, you know, button up or do something different. And I just decided that I, I I'm just going to be me. And hopefully that'll inspire other girls who are small, but mighty with very frizzy hair to just embrace it. <laughs> I love that. I absolutely love that. Well, before I let you go, it, we got to do our five fun facts. Oh, yeah. Every every episode, we ask the same five facts of every one of our guests, which has been awesome. As you know, I do this with the 49ers players, uh, which has been so fun. That was the inspiration for this. But this has been cool because although we ask the five same five questions, we get different answers almost every time. So that's been awesome. So I'm going to go through. As soon as you're ready, we're just going to go on through these. Oh, I'm ready. Go for it. All right. What is your favorite moment in sports? Walking into the Coliseum for the Special Olympics World Games down in Los Angeles just a couple of years ago in 2015. Awesome. Seeing a stadium filled with fans. That is fantastic. Fantastic. Not fantastic. <laughs> it's fantastic. What is your life motto? Uh, it's a, my favorite Shakespeare quote, which is, though she be but small, she is mighty. I like that. I like that a lot. What is your go to workout? Oh, anything with my kids, really. I have to be outside, biking or hiking. And you have a go-to coffee order. Oh, gosh, you don't want me caffeinated. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> I try to avoid caffeine, but uh, chai latte, maybe, if uh, Starbucks were open. Yeah, I love my chai lattes. All right, that's fair. And last but certainly not least, a book every woman should read, until yours is published, in which case oh, that yeah. will be first. <laughs> I, so I have a book list that I actually um, share with all the athletes I work with and anybody else who will listen. So I'm, I will be publishing it on my website on OliverRose.com, OliverRoseLLC.com, excuse me. Um, but The Alchemist is one of the first books I ask people to read because I think it talks about a life journey and it's really an important book to, to find your center and just think through who you are and what you want to be. So The Alchemist is one of my favorite books of all time. And um, I recommend everybody read it, women or men, doesn't matter. Fantastic, Joanne. Thank you so much for joining me today. This was just really fan fantastic and fantastic. <laughs> well, I, I love, love working with you, Tracy. And um, I'm so inspired by how far you've come as well. And looking forward to many more great things from you and your podcasts and all the work that you do as well. Thank you so much. Guys, if you liked what you heard, and I know you did, make sure you're subscribed to this pod on iTunes and please leave us a review. And also make sure you're following us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network for all of the latest news and updates from your favorite teams and from Fangirl. Talk to you next week. Bye, everybody. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, 
you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.